0: Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and
1: welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And before I introduce uh, my guest for today, I just want to tell you a little story from last week, which is just blowing my mind. I only found out about it just uh, yesterday. So uh, two Mondays ago in meditation, I was talking about the significance of the emerald tablet, which was the surface upon which was written the recipe for discovering and creating the philosopher's stone although it was all very carefully hidden so that only those people of the right consciousness would get to this stage and part of the emerald tablet was um, the alchemists to use these pictograms these uh, very full diagrams and pictures of the actual alchemical process which they had to interpret and so I talked about that in, at the beginning of meditation uh, two Mondays ago. Then last Wednesday on the show, my guest Glenn Borton and I were talking about communicating with the crop circle makers and how we could in fact set an intention and through this consciousness uh, crop circles would appear to demonstrate that uh, that link and that connection. Well, that was last Wednesday and then on Thursday, the very next day, a crop, a crop circle showed up in Italy which was a representation of one of these pictograms that I had demonstrated uh, to the circle group in meditation on Monday. So it's really neat to uh, to be part of this synchronistic consciousness that is awakening, it seems, in a, in a mass way uh, across the planet. So just advise you to be really careful about what your intentions are and what you're thinking about, because it's going to manifest before your very eyes in a very short time. Which leads me to today's guest, Robert Schock, and, and Robert's doing some wonderful work uh, uncovering some mysteries uh, that most people wouldn't believe were possible, having been told a totally different story uh, over the last few years. So, Robert, welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you with us.
2: Oh, well, thank you very much.
1: So, Robert, I'd love to, to hear a little bit about how your uh, involvement in, uh, in understanding
2: these mysteries from the Ancient of Days began. How did you, how did you get involved in all this? Well, I really got involved in, we'll call it, the ancient mysteries and pushing history back in the 1980s when I was introduced to a man named John Anthony West. Some of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard of him. He's sort of an independent or rogue Egyptologist. He is a follower, or should we say interpreter, in the mo- in modern times of Shuar de Lubitsch, the uh, great uh, Egyptologist and alchemist, modern alchemist. Uh, who I, di- I believe passed away in 1961, and something that Schwaller had suggested and John Anthony West picked up on is that the Great Sphinx of Egypt is eroded not by wind and sand, but by water, and this is very perplexing if it's the case. Because the uh, Great Sphinx sits on the edge of the Sahara Desert. So in the late 1980s, John Anthony West was looking for what he called an open-minded geologist who could go over to Egypt, look at the Sphinx critically, evaluate how it had been eroded, what it's been subjected to, and essentially figure out what was the history of the Great Sphinx, independent of, you know, what the Egyptologists might be saying, whether they were correct, whether there was a an alternative um, view or evidence for an alternative view. So I met him. I'm a faculty member at Boston University. I had received my PhD in geology and geophysics at Yale. I was introduced to John Anthony West by a colleague of mine who had met him in Cairo when he was teaching at the American University in Cairo. West showed me a number of photographs. I was sort of hesitant. I said, yeah, it looks sort of interesting, but you can't really tell anything from a geologic perspective, ultimately, unless you go there to study the actual rocks. Wes said, oh, would you like to go to Egypt and see it firsthand? I said, sure, sure. Didn't expect much to come of it. But by 1990, he had arranged for me to visit Egypt to study the Sphinx firsthand and sort of took off from there, because even on my first trip, I realized as a geologist that the Egyptologists had the story wrong, that the oldest portions of the Sphinx could not be simply 2500 BC, that they went much back went much further back in time, and this was not just a matter of redating the Sphinx, but actually pushed the origins of civilization, of advanced culture, of advanced technology thousands of years earlier than previously believed.
1: So could you, in, in relatively simple terms, give us a, a little bit of an insight as to how you, how you know that from studying the, the, the rocks and the Sphinx itself?
2: Sure, there's two major aspects and then there's other minor aspects I won't get into. The two major aspects are, number one, the nature of the erosion and weathering on the body of the Sphinx and in the Sphinx enclosure. What you have is essentially textbook examples of weathering by rain, by precipitation, by water, water runoff, and this is absolutely incompatible with the position of the Sphinx currently on the edge of the Sahara Desert. Now, we know that the Sahara Desert geologically goes back about 5,000 years. Before that, the climate of the region was much more temperate, much more moist, more rainfall, so immediately, based on my analysis, it seemed that the original Sphinx had to go back to that er earlier period because it showed rainfall erosion, rainfall weathering. And furthermore, it shows about a meter, about three feet worth of erosion based on rainfall and water runoff. So it's not like it went back just a few hundred years prior to 3000 BC. It must be much earlier. That was number one. Number two, a fellow named Thomas Debecki, a Ph.D. in geophysics, he and I did seismic studies around the Sphinx. We wanted to look at the depth of what's known as subsurface weathering, and this is different than surface erosion. It's essentially mineralogical changes that take place over time, so we did seismic work around the Sphinx, around other structures on the Giza Plateau, around the Great Pyramid, around various tombs that are well-dated. I was able to calibrate the depth of subsurface weathering, and this gave me the same results, that the core body, the oldest portion of the Sphinx, goes back much earlier in time than was previously believed. And when I say much earlier in time, by thousands and thousands of years. I do want to point out that the head of the Sphinx has been recarved. The head is not the original head. It's clearly to me a dynastic head, probably, I would say, first to third dynasty, early dynastic head. We also found under the left paw of the Sphinx a chamber or cavity. We did that seismically, which has to this day not been probed, has not been explored, at least that I am aware of.
1: So this, this must have been a, a sort of a challenge to the traditional Egyptologist view. So how oh, it was, it, 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 it was
2: <laughs> an incredible challenge. I first presented the data at Geological Society of America conference in 1991, and I've been developing it ever since. I don't want people to think that... It stopped in 1991. It's been an ongoing research for the last 20-plus years. But I first presented in 1991. They, geologists were great. They said, yeah, your data makes a lot of sense. It all works. It, they were convinced. The Egyptologists just went livid, and they were accusing me of, you know, Falsifying data. They were accusing me of saying that UFOs had come and built the Sphinx. I mean, they were just making up stuff left and right. Uh, they uh, accused me of, you know, everything. I was called a pseudoscientist. It, it, it was, it got pretty nasty. But so, I was really challenging their worldview, challenging their paradigm, and they did not like that.
1: Clearly. And, and so this required then a massive. Paradigm shift on behalf of those people that were willing. Exactly. So, where did that lead you to next?
2: Well, yeah, because it it required a massive paradigm shift because building the Sphinx is not something trivial. It's fairly sophisticated. And I want to point out that when they built the Sphinx, they didn't just chip away the rock, they actually had to carve into the bedrock and carve out huge blocks, multi, multi ton blocks you know, we're talking tens of tons. So they're doing this simultaneously thousands and thousands of years before civilization is supposed to have originated, according to conventional archaeologists and historians. They took those blocks and they erected what is now known as the Sphinx Temple in front of the Sphinx. So it's more than just carving the Sphinx. So this really questioned the reigning paradigm. It really pushed against people's worldviews. So where it went next is for a number of years, archaeologists, Egyptologists, conventional historians challenged me. They said, if there's sophisticated culture, sophisticated civilization that could build these monumental structures thousands of years earlier than we believe was the case, more or less 5,000, 7,000 BC or earlier, Where is there other evidence of such a civilization, of such a sophisticated culture? And frankly, for a long time, I couldn't point to anything definitive. Now, in just the past couple of years, another site has been made public. It's been excavated, or it's being excavated, I should say. It was not even known about when I first redated the Sphinx. So Robert, I'm actually going to hold you there because
1: we're coming up to our first break and it's a great moment to take a break, take a deep breath, and we can return and hear about this uh, second site uh, after this break. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation.
3: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to myheartcenterjourney.com for more information. The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Be extraordinary.
0: Be the change. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tung. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program.
1: Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tung. I'm with me today, Robert Schock, who... (laughs) literally shocks the world with his uh, interpretation of the, the new information that he gathered about uh, the Great Sphinx back in the 1990s. And, Robert, before we go and talk on a, about the second site that becomes really significant here, I know that you've got a, a tour going to Egypt over the December 21st, the
2: 2012-2012 tour that you've got organized. Just tell our listeners a bit about that. Yes, I do. I'm very excited about it. I'll be glad to be back in Egypt, and this is a really critical time, as your listeners know, the solstice of December, the 2012 date, December uh, 21st, 2012. We will be in Egypt. We'll be on the Giza Plateau. We're going to go into the Great Pyramid. We have permission at this point from the governmental authorities who are working closely with, including some of the top Egyptologists that... Are now in charge of things with the new regime, and we're going to have a couple of hours in the Great Pyramid. We're going to have a couple of hours in the Sphinx enclosure just to ourselves, and we're also going to tour other parts of Egypt. We'll go to the Fayum, to Hawara, to see the labyrinth there, which ties in with the 2012 uh, issue. We will go to Upper Egypt all the way to Abu Simbel. We're going to take a nice Nile cruise. So we'll be working hard, but we'll, we will also relax. I believe that, you know, in Egypt, you have to re- be able to relax and rejuvenate as well as learn. So it's going to be a great trip. And, people, and that goes right through it, to New Year's uh, Day on, in 2013? It goes through New Year's Day, yes. We'll, we go from, I think the dates are December 20th till January 2nd. So it's going to incorporate the solstice, it's going to incorporate Christmas, and we'll be going to the Coptic Church, which is built over the reputed site where the Holy Family lived while they were in Egypt, and we will be celebrating New Year's. So we're going to cover a lot, and we're going to have a lot of fun. People, people can learn about it if they go to my website, com, and I have a link there.
1: Superb. Sounds like it's going to be a wonderful time. Oh it is. <laughs> so back to so back to the to the story then. Um so the evidence was lacking for this ancient civilization but now a second site has has started to be
2: exactly. uh, Well I wouldn't say the evidence was lacking because I was always convinced of the evidence that we have in the Sphinx but other people want confirmatory evidence. So other academics, the conventional archaeologists said, well if the Sphinx is that old there should be other things that go back to that remote period and show the same level of sophistication. And now we have it at a site known as Gebekli Tepe, which is in Turkey. It's in southeastern Turkey, uh, just a bit north of the Syrian border, and it is an incredible site on many accounts. What's most incredible, let me get to the gist of it, is it goes back the, it goes back to the very end of the last ice age. It goes back an incredible 9,000 to 10,000 BC, so. It goes back to about 12,000 years ago, which is unheard of for a site showing the level of sophistication that it shows. What you have are a number of what are known as stone circles or stone enclosures. People can think of visually Stonehenge, but this is thousands and thousands of years older than Stonehenge, number one. Number two, it's not like Stonehenge in the sense that Stonehenge are these big, massive, crudely cut stones, sort of brutish, if you would, compared to Gobekli Tepe. At Gobekli Tepe, they are 10 to 15 ton stones, five or more meters tall in the tallest cases, but they're beautifully carved. They're long, they're thin, they're sleek, they're very modern-looking, if I could use that term. They're carved with reliefs of various animals. There's incredible sculptures there that, you know, if they were made today by a modern artist, would be hailed as masterpieces. And all of this is happening over 10,000 years ago. So this is just unheard of otherwise. It, it really confirms, in my opinion, my work for the last 20 plus years, that advanced civilization goes back to this remote period. It's being excavated by Klaus Schmidt of the German Archaeological Institute. I've spoken with him personally about his dating techniques. I'm a geologist, so I want to know about that. His work is impeccable. It's just beyond doubt. So it goes, it confirms.
1: And so why is this only just being discovered?
2: Well, it's one of these sites. There's a lot, uh, it's hard to find sites sometimes. You know, I I use the analogy sometimes with my students. No one really knew about dinosaurs until the 19th century. Then one was found, it was dismissed, and now we know all about dinosaurs because we know what to look for. This was actually a site. It's in Turkey. It's essentially an artificial hill or mountain in the mountains of southern, southeastern Turkey. It was actually found decades ago when archaeologists were just doing surveys of the area. They saw that there were some work stones on the surface, but they dismissed them as being of a very recent date, more or less just a thousand or fifteen hundred years old, probably, you know, late Roman or Byzantine times. So it was just left and no one paid attention to it. No one excavated it. It takes a lot of work to excavate a site. Klaus Schmidt returned to it in the 90s after I had already been working on the Sphinx and come out with those conclusions, and he slowly began to excavate it and was just stunned at what he actually found there. So so, what, so it's uh, one of these happenstance things that was found by happenstance, essentially. Yeah. So what have you learned then about the
1: society of people that lived at that time and what they were aware of, what their consciousness
2: was at that time? Well, we're trying, still trying to figure that out because most of the site has not yet been excavated. There are four major stone circles, I'll use that term, Professor Schmidt calls them enclosures, that have been excavated so far, and this has taken him years and years just to excavate that because he's very meticulous, and very thorough, and they're also fairly large, stone circles. There's probably another 16 or 20 or more under the ground just at this site. We know that from seismic, not seismic, uh, uh, geophysical surveys, ground penetrating radar has been used, that type of thing. So it's a huge site and only just the tip of the iceberg, proverbial iceberg has been touched. But what we see in this site is a couple of things. They're incredibly sophisticated. The central pillars of the enclosure seem to be humanoid or anthropomorphic. They have hands. They have arms. They have belts. They have what appear to be loincloths. Uh, but they don't have distinct heads. There's something that's been known as the Urfa Man, and this was found. Urfa is the city, or Sanli Urfa is the city closest to Gobekli Tepe. Interestingly, it is the traditional home and birthplace of Abraham, the biblical Abraham. So there's all kinds of, um, if one wants to get into it, biblical ties in this area. Actually, Gobekli Tepe is in the general region that's known as Eden. Some people even suggest, well, maybe this is close to or the site of the Garden of Eden. So it has all kinds of overlay like that. But getting back to Gebekli Tepe as a site, you've got these stone circles. Some of the pillars are clearly anthropomorphic, Yet, to me, they're not individuals. They're not, for instance, what you see in later times, like a Roman emperor or a Greek emperor or a Persian king calling attention to himself. They're not personalized. They're more generalized. I think they say something about sort of they're searching for more a universal consciousness, a universal human. That's something that it's saying to me. So to me, it's a very different mindset. Also, I think that a lot of astronomy and astrology is probably tied up in these once we come to understand them. For instance, precession, uh, the slow drift of stars, the slow drift of the sun relative to the stars. People are aware of things like the age of Pisces, the age of Aquarius. I have found correlations with precession, precessional ages, in the Pillars of Göbekli Tepe in their orientation. And this is something very sophisticated. Most people conventionally say that ancient people were not aware of precession until only maybe 2,500 years ago. And here we're looking at a site that goes back well over 10,000 years ago. So, you know, we're just learning. We're just starting to learn exactly what it's all about.
1: Now, Robert, you're providing the opportunity for a group to go to Turkey as well uh, yes, this year. In...
2: Yes, we just came back from Turkey. I just came back literally within the last week leading a tour to Turkey, and the culmination of the trip was Göbekli Tepe, to visit Göbekli Tepe. In fact, we we had incredible time. We went to Göbekli Tepe. We even went there for sunrise, and then we went back later to visit the site in its full glory, and we are doing it again in August, August 12th through 25th. So this is the opportunity to come and see this incredible site firsthand while well, one has opportunity. And I, I don't want to sound the wrong way, but I have learned well with all these ancient sites, especially something like Gobekli Tepe, which is very remote. You want to seize the opportunity when you can. I've been there's been many cases where in, I have gone to a site, I've visited, and I've wanted to go back and, you know, for inexplicable or explicable reasons, it will be closed down or it's off limits, that type of thing. So I I encourage people to join me that are interested. And again, they can go to my website, www.robertshock.com, and I have the links there.
1: And that's also an interesting time, because right over the uh, the anniversary
2: of the Harmonic
1: Convergence.
2: Uh, that's right, August exactly. Yes, yeah. it's a wonderful time. And I will tell you, and I'm not making this up, because I wouldn't do that. On this past trip, people were telling me it was, for instance, I, I think this is a direct quote, one person on the trip, she said it was the most incredible day of her life, literally, when we went to Gobekli Tepe people it's a very powerful spot it's very important i can see why people 12,000 years ago picked this spot it's 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 you can't describe it in words a lot of these sites you can't just look at pictures you have to be there to really experience them and yeah, we will be there at a great time
1: so just a reminder that uh, Robert's website, com and that's spelled robertschoc com. This is going to be a fascinating time. So, Robert, what happened? What went, what went wrong? Where did, where did this ancient civilization go to? What happened to them?
2: Well, I have been working on this for a long time. I'm a geologist, and something I've been interested in for decades besides ancient civilizations is the end of the last ice age what caused these dramatic climatic changes about So, Rob, I'm going to hold you right
1: there because go. we're going to our next break because uh, obviously we're beginning a new topic here but so we'll return with uh, Robert shock in a moment to hear about what did actually happen at the end of the last ice age it's Peter tongue for awakening to conscious co-creation mm-hmm.
0: This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel.
3: Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you, to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Be Visionary. This is the Voice
0: America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tung. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program.
1: Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertongue.com. Uh, all sorts of uh, great information there. And also to www.myheartcenteredjourney.com. And we have an Ambassadors of Light class uh, tomorrow evening, Thursday at 5.30 through My Heart Centered Journey. And there's so much going on in the world at the moment. There's an incredible celestial events taking place in just in the next few days, including the solstice today, of course. An happy solstice to everybody and the significance of that and the uh, some well just some major aspects and alignments are coming up in the next few days so I'll be talking about that as well as talking more about the significance of the emerald tablet in the alchemy I have with me today Robert Schock who's giving us a, an interesting uh, overview of past history and what uh, what really took place so, Robert, you were about to talk about what happened, uh, what took place at the end of the last ice age. Please yes, continue with that. this is
2: very important from a number of points of view. The Earth went underwent dramatic changes at the end of the last ice age. There was a major climatic change, a major warming. Glaciers were melting at a, an incredible rate. So, lots of things happening, and this has been a mystery for a long time to geologists and others. Also, I want to point out that Gobekli Tepe. And now I believe the earliest portions of the Sphinx straddle the end of the last Ice Age. So these very early, very sophisticated cultures apparently arose before the end of the last Ice Age. And I believe that there was a major cataclysm, major demise of these early civilizations. This is what drove them down. This is what happened and why... Essentially, civilization went into a dark age, a dark period for thousands of years, and it was a reemergence of civilization that the conventional historians, the conventional archaeologists see about 3500 B.C. So that's a broad outline. And for a long time, it's been a real mystery to me, a real mystery to others, exactly what happened at the end of the last Ice Age, but I believe that we now have the answer, and... Based on all the data, I believe that what happened is there was a major, major solar outburst, a major eruption from the sun, which dramatically heated the atmosphere, dramatically heated the planet, caused climatic change, caused the melting of the glaciers. And this was incredibly dramatic. This was about 9,700 B.C., Recent data developed just in the last few years from sediment cores, from ice cores, for instance, indicates that it happened very dramatically. From a geologic point of view, we can narrow it down to about three years, but that's as good resolution as we have for the data. That three years could be even shorter. It could literally have been overnight. And what happened in my opinion, and all the data seems to indicate this, is there was a major solar outburst. So electrically charged particles, what's sometimes known as electrical plasma, entered, well, was ejected by the sun, sometimes known as a coronal mass ejection, accompanied by solar flares, major solar flares, were known as proton events. This hit the Earth, entered Our atmosphere interacted with the magnetosphere and just caused incredible havoc. So climate change, releasing of water, melting glaciers. You can think of huge thunderbolts, electricity, literally hitting the earth in some cases, setting fires evaporating water which then would go into the atmosphere, only so much water could be held in the atmosphere, so you'd have torrential rains coming down, and it, it, it would have been just incredible havoc. The only way I believe people could survive this was by going underground, and we have documented now around the world, especially in Europe and through Asia, that at this very early period, Otherwise, inexplicably, people were tunneling into the earth. They were tunneling into rocks. Something that we saw in Turkey on this past trip, and we'll go there again in August, is the area of Cappadocia, or Cappadocia, that's known for its literal underground cities. And I think this ties in with this whole scenario. Now, many of those cities were occupied later in classical times, and Christian times, but I believe the earliest portions of them go back to this very early period when people literally had to go underground if they were going to survive or they went into natural caves. So there's lots of implications of what was happening, but I think this is, in very brief form, essentially what happened to cause these early civilizations to go into demise, to essentially... Uh, you know, be wiped out. And I talk about this further in great detail in my forthcoming book, which will be out August 1st. It's called Forgotten Civilization. Forgotten Civilization, the role of solar outbursts in our past and future. So I go into this in great detail and put forth all the evidence.
1: And so it, it, does the
2: evidence suggest that some uh, human beings did survive it oh yeah clearly some human beings survived it and some human beings not only survived it but recorded what happened and this is another part of the story <clears throat> you know many people of course and I, I hate to be dramatic but many people did not survive civilizations the early civilizations went into decline but some survived it and some recorded it. and we have two major sets of records One is petroglyphs, engravings on rock. And interestingly, over the last 10-plus years, a plasma physicist by the name of Dr. Anthony Peratt, he's at Los Alamos National Laboratories. He's among the best, certainly one of the best plasma physicists in the world, and he has been studying high-energy solar outbursts and similar phenomena. And what he found is that certain petroglyphs that are inexplicable otherwise seem to record the shapes the forms that would be taken by major plasma major solar outbursts in the past and in fact he's come to the conclusion as i have independently that there was a major solar outburst in the past and again i believe that this was what caused the end of the last ice age secondly On Easter Island, a little island in the Pacific, which I've had the pleasure of visiting with my wife, Katie. In fact, as a side note, she and I were married there, which was great fun. But Easter Island has what's known as the Rongo Rongo script. It's this sort of pictograph script, or some people call it hieroglyphics. It's incredibly inexplicable linguists argue about exactly what it could be they don't even necessarily agree as to whether it's a phonetic script or if it's just pictographs or ideographs i don't think it's any of those per se what we've come to conclude and katie actually first came to this conclusion is that these are very similar to the petroglyphs parat has been studying that dr parat has studied in over 130 countries And the Rongo Rongo also apparently records the plasma phenomena, records, I believe, what happened at the end of the last Ice Age. So what we have there is certainly not original documents that are over 10,000 years old, but copies of copies of copies of copies, just like the Bible, just like Plato, we know only from copies of copies, but I do believe we have... A first hand record, if you would, of what was happening
1: and and amazingly you got you have a tour going there as well in November
2: oh uh, yes yes exactly that I was asked to uh because people are excited about this, and it's very important and that's actually not something I initiated, but I agreed to um lead a tour to earth i Excuse me, I'm tripping over my tongue. I agreed to lead a tour to Easter Island in November, so I encourage people to look into that also. And that's also We're on your website. You're going to have great fun. It's a wonderful island. If people have not been there, it's one of the classic places for ancient mysteries.
1: And aren't they doing some excavations of, the, of those heads on the island now?
2: They are, they are. A lot of people don't realize that those heads have bodies. And Thor Heyerdahl, back in the 1950s, 1960s, excavated some, but they were then filled back in, those excavations, and they have been doing some recently, so I'm hoping that we'll get to see those. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. So,
1: so Robert, how, how are you actually viewed, <laughs> uh, in the world now of, of the etologists and the ancient historians and, where, and obviously because you followed through on a, in a very uh, logical, sequential, scientific approach.
2: So how are you viewed now? I like to think that I'm being viewed more and more positively, even by the staunchest critics. <laughs> and, you know, I've been persistent. And I've been persistent not because I'm sort of bullheaded and dogmatic, but actually the opposite. I am always critical of myself. I'm always critical of the data. I've been looking at the data for now over 20 years. I'm always questioning it myself. I'm trying to develop more lines of data. I'm looking for any evidence that will disprove it. And what I'm finding is that the data is supported and more is developing. And I believe that I am on the right track, that myself and other people along the same lines are on the right track, and essentially we need to have a revolution. We're having a revolution in how we understand the ancient past and how we, likewise, I believe, interpret our coming future. So, to me, it's nothing more than genuine science, following the data where it leads. And... uh you know, I, I think that's what we need to do at this point. And, you know, we have to learn from the past, in my opinion. It's really depend our survival, our coming survival you- really depends on learning from the past and not making the same mistakes or, or, um, you know, falling to the same catastrophes that our, our, um, you know, long ancestors long ago, uh, fell to. So, again, I'm, I'm not a, a doomsday or that type of thing, but I, my point there is that this is, for me, not just an academic uh, exercise. It's not just because it's sort of interesting. Yes, of course, it's all those things. It is incredibly interesting, but I think it's relevant to today. I believe I have come over the years to believe there really is an ancient wisdom. There really is something we can learn from the ancients.
1: We'll we'll come back to that in a moment, Robert, because it's really interesting in terms of all of the timing, isn't it, that we are now uh, having a lot of discussion in the world about the current activity of the sun and solar activity and and coronal ejection. So. Yeah, it is. I I think
2: it's very interesting, it's very timely, and there's lots of good data at this point. And when I say good data, I'm talking strictly scientific data based on isotope analysis, for instance, of sediment cores, of ice cores. We now have a record of the solar activity since at the end of the last ice age and since then. So about 12,000 plus years of solar activity And we know that the sun is more active now than it has been in 10,000 or more years, essentially since the end of the last ice age. So what was happening at the end of the last ice age, I believe, is very relevant to us now. So, Robert, we're actually coming up to our final break. So we'll take that break and we'll return
1: with Robert Schock, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the present moment and uh, how we can learn from the ancients in doing it differently in the future. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation.
0: The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network.
3: Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to myheartcenteredjourney.com for more information.
0: Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome
1: back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. As many of you know, I have my own uh, sacred site tour taking place uh, over the fall equinox. Uh, in France, going to the Mary Magdalene sites in southern France and ending up at Chartres Cathedral and then the final day in Paris, uh, right on the equinox time. Uh, it's been a really well uh, attended uh, tour. We've got so, some wonderful people going, very tuned in metaphysically and spiritually. Uh, it's going to be a great adventure. There are a couple of spots left. Uh, Finbar Ross and I are co-leading the tour, so please go to www. CelticMysticalJourneys.com if you are interested in joining us in France in September I have with me today Robert Schock who's has given us a wonderful overview of his uh, understanding of what has happened over time much much longer time period than most people would uh, believe or realize and how the sun appears to be going through a similar level of activity that it was uh, just around the end of the last ice age So, Robert, this in the last few minutes remaining, it would be great if you could put together your understanding of what took place and the ancient wisdom that uh, people had and what was happening then and what is happening now and how perhaps we can learn
2: something from what happened in the past. (laughs) That's a tall order for a couple of minutes. (laughs) But I think what we have to realize is that, you know, a lot of times we have a lot of hubris. We think we're the greatest thing that ever existed. And what I've learned from the ancients is that's not necessarily the case. No way to put us down, but we are um, one part of a continuing story, a continuing journey, if you would. And when you go back to the end of the last ice age, as we were discussing as we were discussing, you find that there is evidence for incredibly sophisticated, incredibly advanced peoples and cultures and civilization. And this was a different civilization than what we have now. In many ways, I believe, based on the limited evidence we have, they were perhaps more collective, more attuned with the cosmos, more based on consciousness, if I could put it that way. Something that we talked about is that at Gebekli Tepe, for instance, you don't find indications of individuals as much as you find sort of indications of a collective consciousness, that they were attuned and working together. And that, I think, is a very important lesson for us, to really work together to uh, face what will be coming in the future. And what could be coming in the future, again, we could learn this from the past. For instance, we now know that the end of the last ice age ended very, very dramatically. There were major, major solar outbursts. A thousand years before that apparently a comet hit a lot of people have heard about that but at the very end of the last ice age there's evidence for major major solar outbursts as you indicated the Sun is becoming more active again so we want to take that into account we want to um, prepare ourselves for that and I don't believe the way to prepare is to be sort of survivals and everyone fends for themselves but to actually work together to raise our level of consciousness to work collectively. So in a nutshell, those are just a couple of the things I would stress. I go into a lot more detail in my forthcoming book, Forgotten Civilization. In fact, I have an entire chapter there about what I call ancient wisdom and new science and how many of the recent developments in science, be it quantum physics or biology, actually seem to reflect and mimic and are really relearning. We're relearning things that at a different level, in a different way, I believe the very, very ancient people understood and knew. So we may be approaching it from a more technological basis, whereas they were approaching it more from a intuitive basis, but I think we're coming to many of the same conclusions. So it's a very interesting time we're, le- we're living in and very important. And I think it's really important that we look at our past as well as the present and future. It's interesting,
1: that, Robert, that you mentioned the fact that we need to come together in, in a sort of a collective consciousness approach to this. Because, as you said, the survivalist mentality tends to be people will fend for themselves and look after the, look after number one and almost certainly that's not going to be the solution that we actually need to come together collectively and support each other in this process. Uh,
2: Exactly. I I actually think that those that have the mentality of survivalists, they're going to fend for themselves and just protect themselves or maybe their core family, those are the ones that will not survive. They can only survive as long as their guns and food (laughs) last. I mean, it's just not a realistic way. I think what we do need to do is collectively come together and work together and help each other. And also involve the planet Earth and the Sun in that consciousness too. Absolutely, absolutely. Ultimately, I believe consciousness is prior to everything else. I have come to that conclusion as a scientist, as well as, you know, from my own personal spiritual point of view, that consciousness really comes before everything else. Matter, energy are just derivatives they're derived from consciousness ultimately i actually so Robbie, talk about that in the book
1: you've got a great deal on the go so just give us a reminder of the of the different elements of your uh,
2: of the next few months over the terms of the book and your tours okay the next tour to turkey and that will include a number of sites, including Cappadocia, including Çatalhöyük, this early village site, which we didn't even mention. But most importantly, in my mind, Gobekli Tepe, the 12,000-year-old site, that is August 12th through 25th. People are invited to join me on that. In November, I'll be leading a tour to Easter Island, which is a totally different experience but incredible. And then in December... For the solstice, Christmas, and New Year's, I will be leading a tour to Egypt, one of my favorite places in the world. I've been to Egypt more often than any any other place, and that's going to be an incredible tour at an incredible time, which can never be duplicated. And my book, Forgotten Civilization, will be coming out. It's scheduled for release August 1st. And I encourage people to pre-order it now on Barnes & Noble or Amazon because you can get a very good deal on it. And, you know, they tend to jack up prices after books are out. So order it now, pre-order it now. And to get information on all of this, people can go to my website, com.
1: So Robert, we've just got a, a couple of minutes of the whole show left and I'd like to give you the opportunity to just say a few uh, final words in terms of what you've discovered. You know, obviously you, you have an incredibly uh, brilliant mind and understanding of all of this. And so just give our listeners a final uh, summary lift up. For, December 21st 2012 it's interesting today is the solstice which is the exact opposite position uh, to the galactic center for December 21st 2012
2: yeah well you bring up December 21st 2012 and I'm not a doomsdayer I'm not someone that says that you know the world's going to be destroyed on that day but I do and I've come to this Based on the data, I do believe that we are going through some kind of shift, some kind of change. When you look at the astrophysical data, for instance, the activity of the sun ramping up, it says to me, we are in exceptional times. This is different than it's been for 10,000 or more years. When you look at things like the Mayan calendar, it's not just that it ends as some people would say, are turns over in December 21st, 2012. But in fact, there are major cycles in the calendar, cycles on the order of 5,000 plus years, which are reflected in geology, which are reflected in ice cores and sediment cores and isotope changes. We also have the processional ages, and we are going into a changing age from Pisces, age of Pisces, to age of Aquarius about this time. So there's the Vedic cycle, the Yuga cycle, of um, going from one age to another. Sometimes in English they're referred to as the Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, Iron Age. There are many traditions, and there's much data, in my opinion, from natural science, from hard science, saying that these are exceptional times, and we should be prepared for some kind of change in the relatively close future. <laughs> Well, Robert, I've really enjoyed uh, my time with you today, and and I hope our listeners have too. Sorry. I sort to say, we live in exciting times, we live in exceptional times, and we should take advantage of that.
1: I totally agree with you, and I think we are in for some wonderful times. And thank goodness that people like you are bringing this back into consciousness, so all of us can actually realize that actually it's a wonderful, wonderful time to be alive. So, Robert, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time.
2: You're very welcome.
1: So next week, my guest is Robert Baval who will be talking about Breaking the Mirror of Heaven, another show focusing on Egypt and all of the things that have been hidden away uh, from us so that, again, we didn't get the whole story, the full true history. And Robert will be talking about that next Wednesday. I hope you've enjoyed today's show with Robert Schock. Have a great week. Enjoy the rest of the solstice. And I'll see you next Wednesday. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation.